Welcome to Living Through the Word, the podcast ministry of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. I'm Julian Dobbs, the Diocesan Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. And on this episode today, it's my privilege to welcome and interview uh, a sister in Christ, a personal friend, a warrior for the faith, uh, Mrs. Faith McDonald. Great faith to have you with us. Thank you for, for joining us today. Oh, hello, Bishop Julian. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this for the persecuted church. So Faith is the uh, Director of Religious Liberty Program uh, and of the Church uh, Alliance for a New Sudan with the Institute on Religion and Democracy. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, Faith, you're known to many of our listeners uh, on this podcast and many others who will be listening in today. Um, we're going to talk about what's happening with persecuted Christians. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, religious liberty. But first of all, I want to talk about a book that had a great impact on uh, one of my own children who read it uh, when I first got to know you, a book that you authored called Girl Soldier. Can you talk us through a little bit about that? Oh, wow. Yes. I remember when Francis was reading yep. my book. Um, <laughs> this is a book, uh, Girl Soldier, A Story of Hope for Northern Uganda's Children. Um, and I wrote it along with a former child soldier uh, who, who had been taken by the Lord's Resistance Army, the group, the rebel group in northern Uganda that was just uh, devastating the people of northern Uganda as well as what was then southern Sudan. Um, they were actually being employed by Omar el-Bashir, the president of Sudan, to, to kill as many people in southern Sudan as possible, as well as northern Uganda. Um, so, but the book was really the, uh, about Uganda and about God's hands on that country throughout many, many years. And through uh, my research for the book, I learned all the things that I know now about the East African revival um, and about the raid on Entebbe and all kinds of fascinating things that show the hand of God on the country. And for me, it was a very encouraging thing in spite of all the evil, which is something I need in the work that I do when there's so much evil, just to remember that God is in control and that he loves his suffering people more than we can even understand. Well, thank you for writing that, Faith, and we'll put uh, references mm -hmm. to that book in the show notes uh, of this episode of Living Through the Word. Um, uh, the BBC earlier this year reported that uh, the persecution of Christians in some parts of the world is at near genocide levels. Uh, the then Secretary, Foreign Secretary Jonathan Hunt said that. Uh, some report that more Christians... Uh, are being persecuted today for their faith than at any other time in the history of the church. Around mm -hmm. the world today, our brothers and sisters are marginalized. They are locked up in dark rooms. Uh, they are executed. Uh, they forfeit their inheritance rights, all because they follow Jesus Christ, and many of them refuse to renounce the faith. You have been a voice, uh, Faith McDonald, uh, that has spoken out courageously in the hallways of Congress, uh, over national media, uh, through the Christian community on behalf of our brothers and sisters around the world. Tell us what's happening. 
Well, what you said, Bishop Julian, is is so true. And I was uh, very happy that the the British, that the BBC and and the British government did a report on Christian persecution. Um, uh, Another statistic is that around the world, people who are being persecuted for their faith, 80% of those people are Christians. So uh, for me, this is, uh, this is something that should be an indictment of the free church, of the church in the West, and those who are not being persecuted, um, that this is the time that we must be standing for our brothers and sisters. Um, the BBC report talked about genocidal levels. We see that in the Middle East, in Iraq and Syria. Um, We see that in Nigeria, um, where uh, between Boko Haram and the Fulani, uh, the the whole region is ready to explode. Um, We have seen that in South Sudan and and in Sudan itself. And we've seen uh, horrible uh, persecution elsewhere all over the world as well. Um, and, you know, once I start talking about countries, I'm afraid I'll leave out a country. So let's just say that if you look around the world, that in, in so many places, our brothers and sisters are suffering for the sake of Christ. Absolutely, they are. And the reason they are suffering faith is none other uh, than their confessed faith uh, mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ. Um, and and uh, these are Christians who believe the same gospel that you and I believe. They sing the same hymns as you and I believe, uh, you and I sing. And yet, uh, many of them uh, risk losing their lives today. The fact is that significant numbers of Christians around the world are in the minority and are suffering for their faith in Christ. You and I have spent... Um, significant time lobbying uh, in uh, Congress with uh, uh, members, elected representatives. Uh, why do we do that, Faith? Why, why do you go up to Congress and many others with you, and why do you lobby on behalf of persecuted Christians? Well, my mandate is Galatians 6.10 that says, do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Um, there's a somewhat of a uh, a feeling in in some Christian circles of uh, moral superiority if we always reach out to the other and really neglect our own brothers and sisters. But you know, if we don't do it, nobody's going to. Um, for instance, uh, I was at the the second annual State Department Ministerial on International uh, Religious Freedom to advance religious freedom around the world, it, it's called. Um, and it was a wonderful event. And uh, I'm very glad that such things are happening in our government, that, that there is an awareness of the importance of religious freedom. But at the same time, when our government is advancing religious freedom for all people, they can't discriminate. The government doesn't have the right to say, you know, we'll put one group above another um, or, or even that we'll even pay attention to one group because they're suffering the most um, as in the 80% of the persecuted people who are Christians, but we can, 
they're our brothers and sisters, and we have a biblical mandate, not just from Galatians 6.10, but from many other passages in the Bible. Um, my, my friend Dominic Sputo has written a book called Heirloom Love, uh, Authentic Christianity in an Age of Persecution. And he did a, a, a word study and a context study in the New Testament uh, on a lot of verses that we just think of very generally, but they really have to do with the persecuted church. Even verses about uh, showing hospitality. It didn't mean bringing somebody to lunch after church. It meant show hospitality to the, the widows and orphans of the men who were turned into living torches in Rome because they were Christians. Um, those were verses that had to do with Christianity and about defending and supporting our brothers and sisters. And it's as true today as it was then. The fact is, Faith, um, that as you and I both live in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., uh, 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 there are places just an aircraft flight away from where you and I live, where to do what we're doing now, talking openly about the Christian faith, getting together for open Christian activity, uh, public worship on a Sunday, which we take so much for granted in the United States and in the West, mm -hmm. but less than a day's flight from the neighborhoods that you and I live in, this is a life-threatening activity. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit about the pressures of religious freedom in the United States. Mm. But in many respects, for many of us Christians here in the United States, uh, uh, being a Christian is no more life-threatening than being a Rotarian. I've said that so often, and I apologize to the Rotarians. It's no more life-threatening <laughs> than, than being a vegetarian. I know at times we're ostracized, uh, you should see my inbox, and I imagine yours, Faith, too. Uh, we're, we're regularly belittled, but we're not imprisoned, and mm. nor are we executed in some back street, as mm. many of our brothers and sisters are. And when mm. we talk about martyrs, and, and remember in the New Testament, uh, 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 the word that's used to go and be a witness is a word that can be translated, go and be a martyr. Uh, talk about martyrs today. We're not talking of people who just lived and died hundreds of years ago, and there were many of them, of course. We're talking about people who died last week, last month, uh, last year. And one of the hotbeds for persecution, and you've referenced it already in our conversation, uh, is the incredible challenge for Christians faithful brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in Nigeria, particularly in the north, where, where some reports suggest that several hundred Christians uh, were killed just in these past weeks, uh, mm. decimated by waves of uh, Fulani attacks as they sweep, sweep across uh, northern Nigeria. Faith, uh, you and I both have strong connections to the Nigerian community. Tell us what's going on there. What do you know? Sure. Uh, well, as you said, the, the Fulani have been attacking, um, and uh, we are Anglicans, and uh, the Anglican Church is is suffering in northern and central Nigeria as well as as other churches. Boko Haram, the group that has now associated itself with the Islamic State, 
with ISIS, um, the leader of Boko Haram said it was as easy for him to kill a Christian as to kill a chicken. So um, these are people who, who want to stop the spread of the gospel. They want to stop the Christians. They say that the Christians have no part in Nigeria, even though we have known, we know how big the Anglican church is in Nigeria. And that's just one denomination. Um, Christianity is very strong in Nigeria. Um, but, but groups like the, like Boko Haram and the Fulani are the most recent um, expression of Islamic terrorism and jihad trying to kill and, and stop the Christians. Um, but even before them, there was, there was plenty of it. I mean, when I first started working at I, IRD in the, um, in the mid 1990s, uh, there was a, a slaughter of Christians in Kadugli, um, in North Central Nigeria. Um, and there were people, who were killed because there was a, 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 a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse or something, and they blamed it on the Christians. Um, they, there, uh, there's any excuse to kill Christians. And this is, uh, this is something that's permeating the region. And uh, there's also um, slavery of Christians. Black African Christians are being enslaved by Arab Arab and Muslims from both from Nigeria and from the, the Middle East. And uh, we can, we cannot be silent when our brothers and sisters are suffering like this. Um, we need to speak out. We need to encourage our government. Um, in fact, a couple of months ago, maybe about six months ago, uh, President Trump said something to President Buhari very strongly. And for a, a short period of time, there were no attacks. So it shows that we can have an influence. And as my friend and your friend, Congressman Frank Wolf, the retired congressman says, um, Congress is downstream from the church. In other words, if the church speaks out, that will trickle down to Congress. <laughs> we need to have that trickle down effect going yeah. on right now. Absolutely. And Lord willing, we'll, we'll invite uh, Congressman Wolf to come and give us an update on what's happening from his perspective as well. Um, Great. Uh, this, this podcast is called Living Through the Word. We want to open God's Word and allow God the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, in Second Timothy, Paul's second letter uh, to Timothy, which he wrote as he awaited his own execution, uh, 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 mm. uh, uh, and the end of his life was coming very, very near. Uh, despite all that he was facing, the death, the end of his ministry, the uh, abandonment by many of his friends for fear of persecution, uh, he boldly proclaimed the faith. And in the, uh, the third chapter of that uh, second letter uh, to Timothy, Paul reminds us about the last days, the days between uh, the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ, the last days, mm. all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And it's so important for us uh, to, to, to notice that, that it's not some Christians who would be persecuted. It's, it's all Christians who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The persecution is, is certain. It will come. And I've often said, the closer we come to the second coming of Jesus Christ, 
all that we see in the Bible underscores for us the diminishing of religious liberties and the mm. increase of persecution. You've referenced Nigeria. I think of uh, a good friend of our, uh, of our diocese, the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, uh, and our partner, Bishop, uh, Bishop Marcus Dogo in Kafan Chan. Uh, Bishop Marcus and I were consecrated at the same uh, service in Nigeria uh, in 2011. He took me up to the north uh, to the Diocese of Kafanchan. As we were going down the dusty street next to his cathedral on the right, he said to me, do you see those holes in the wall, Bishop? And I said, yep, I, I see those holes. What are they? He says, that's when the uh, Islamic extremists drove down the street randomly, indiscriminately firing into the cathedral compound to kill as mm. many Christians uh, as they could. And they did that simply because those inside the compound were um, uh, 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 followers of Jesus Christ. And mm. so um, uh, this is the intensity of the persecution um, that uh, that we're we're we seeing. Uh, you've also significantly involved in the situation in the Sudan. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what's been going on there? Yes, thank you. Well, Sudan has been a, a, an Arab Islamist state for a long time, and uh, the the agenda of Sudan was to become the cal the first caliphate. So I guess uh, ISIS beat them to it, but they still have not changed that agenda. And even though we're seeing, you know, we've seen President uh, Bashir toppled and things changing in Sudan, um, don't don't take a lot of it too much uh, at face value, because the the government of Sudan for decades has been able to survive by just changing itself a little. They have a, 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 a um, idea that they call change the face, where they take one person out and put another person in, and uh, nothing changes, and nothing changes for our brothers and sisters. In fact, when, when Southern Sudan became the country of South Sudan, Omar al-Bashir said, now that those those black Christians are gone. Uh, there, there doesn't need to be any religion except Islam in Sudan. So right away, it became even more dangerous for our brothers and sisters who are Christians in Sudan, in the Nuba Mountains, um, in, in other parts of Sudan, in Khartoum itself. Um, there have been pastors imprisoned. There have been uh, attacks. Our, our friend Bishop Andudu, uh, who is the bishop, the Anglican bishop of the Nuba Mountains, um, his diocese was just decimated in, in 2011 when, when South Sudan got its freedom. Um, Sudan focused on the Nuba Mountains and began an attack right then with aerial bombardment, um, dropping bombs on people so that they had to go and flee into caves uh, and hide, uh, couldn't farm. So people were starving. Children were starving to death. People were eating leaves. Um, some of that has changed. It's the, the government of Sudan is, is kind of on one of those um, pause periods. But uh, our brothers and sisters, we need to listen to them. We need to listen to what they say about their situation. And Bishop Ndudu 
will tell you he he's, he actually lives right here in the United States right now because there's a death sentence on him from the government of Sudan. So he and his family are here. Um, but there, these are again our brothers and sisters, and the, the church in Sudan goes back to the time of the the, the um, so-called Ethiopian eunuch who was actually from Kush in, in Nubia in Sudan and uh, who met Philip on the road to Gaza. That's how far back the history of Christianity goes in Sudan. But when it, the Islamic invasion came in, I think it was the 7th century, um, uh, it was it was almost wiped out, just as we're seeing now in in the Middle East, in, in, in the Holy Land, in, in Iraq, where, um, uh, you know, we have such a heritage of Christianity. So, um, yeah, people need to, to pray for Sudan and, and the same Islamist influences that are, are causing such devastation in Sudan are also trying to totally destroy the country of South Sudan um, by by uh, both what they're doing to to arm rebels uh, and to to uh, have deception about that country. So um, we need to pray for those brothers and sisters. Living Through the Word is a ministry of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America. We're grateful for you, the listeners, to this podcast. Uh, One way that you can encourage us is by subscribing to the podcast on your smartphone so that you never miss an episode. Uh, You can do that through any of the major subscribers. You can also reach us if you have questions about this episode or any episode of Living Through the Word at questions at adlw.org. And we've set up this new feature to allow you to ask us uh, any questions you might have about doctrine or the matters that are raised uh, on these episodes. Faith, let's talk a little bit for a moment. Uh, my guest, Faith McDonald from uh, uh, the Anglican Church, from the Institute for Religion and Democracy. Faith, so great to have you with us. Let's talk a little bit Thank about you. it in the United States. Religious freedom is protected by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which prohibits laws establishing a national religion, or impeding the free exercise uh, of religion for its citizens. Yet it's fascinating in in the land of the free and the home of the brave that we should be talking about uh, those things that are impacting our religious freedom in the United States uh, in 2011. There are things that are happening. You can read about a high school tennis team a star that was nixed from a turbulent because of her faith. We can read about Christian business uh, men and women who have been brought before the courts uh, because their religious conviction, their Christian conviction, prohibits them from doing certain things. Faith, just talk to us a little bit about, about what is happening from your perspective in these things. Yes, uh, it's it's just uh, unbelievable. Um, as you were saying, uh, we have freedom of religion. We should have, there, there, there's not a state church, but people, a lot of people don't realize that that is not, um, you know, some people say, oh, separation of church and state, meaning let's keep the church out of things, when that was not at all what our founding fathers wanted that to mean. They wanted there to be freedom for the church to act. And, um, 
you know, what we're seeing a lot of Bishop Julian and, you know, we know we have a legacy that we've had to, to go through it as Anglicans um, is that a lot of this uh, taking away of our first First Amendment rights, our, our freedom of speech and our freedom to, to, to practice our faith in the way that the Bible shares it has to do with human sexuality and with the the way that um, uh, human sexuality has been so distorted um, and uh, it, it just it boggles the mind that um, that we are at a position now where this is happening so much in the United States and that so many things that we took for granted as um, just just common uh, knowledge and decency are now being challenged in so many ways and mocked. Um, so uh, we really, we have to stand for our own rights. And um, if we don't stand for our own freedom, we won't be able to stand for the freedom of those around the world who are, are suffering uh, greater persecution than we are. Um, but really, we need to hold on to what we have and, and not lose it. Um, I think that, uh, excuse me, one of, the, one of the things that is happening today is this idea of um, identity politics. And I don't want to get into a, a lot of other things like this, but I've been reading some fascinating things from Christian uh, uh, theologians and philosophers who talk about how uh, identity politics is like the, um, the, the faith of people who have lost any other kind of faith. So for them, it's it's their religion, and uh, and we are we are seeing the clash of 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 religions that way because biblical uh, faith, where we find our identity in Christ, is being challenged by a, an idea that victimhood is uh is your identity and victimhood and one victim keeps supplanting another victim which kind of gives me hope that they're gonna you know keep uh eating their own and and finally there won't be any victims left because one victim isn't as good as the next victim um but in the meantime i think we just need to pray for a spiritual revival in this country and uh for for our our own faith to be uh, strong, as strong as our brothers and sisters around the world um, who are willing to die for their faith. The longest serving prime minister, uh, female prime minister of the United Kingdom of the 20th century, uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher, was called the Iron Lady. She was called that mm -hmm. because of her resoluteness and unshakable leadership. Uh, Faith McDonald, who's talking with us on this episode of Living Through the Word, really is an iron lady. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Faith McDonald stands outside the White House. She lobbies politicians of all um, uh, uh, persuasions uh, to do what they can do to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. She was recently standing outside an embassy doing that. I was trying to join her for one occasion, couldn't quite make it. Uh, Faith is an, an, an iron lady for the persecuted church. Faith, you've got an eye also on the church in the United States. Um, uh, and uh, 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 what, what 
what would you say is the biggest challenge for Christians in the United States in engaging with their persecuted brothers and sisters around the world? Oh, boy. Uh, I would say, um, first and foremost, um, apathy uh, and uh, uh, a focus on our own selves. And, you know, I think of that, that wonderful verse, uh, in in Isaiah, I think it is where where God promises if you if you uh, make uh, if you give your clothes to the to the naked and if you fe- feed the hungry, then God's light will shine on you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard and you'll be like a watered garden. And um, we need to stop focusing on ourselves and focus on our brothers and sisters and not focus on it like we're focusing on something outside ourselves, but realize that we're one body of Christ around the world. Um, I would really urge people to, to see an amazing new film that my friend Jordan Allett, a filmmaker, made called Christians in the Mirror that goes to Iraq, Syria, Egypt, South Sudan to talk about Sudan and India and talks about the fact that what James says that when you look in a mirror you see yourself you walk away you don't forget what you look like but yet we're when we see our brothers and sisters it's like looking in a mirror so how can we forget what they look like and this is a wonderful film. Our friend, uh, Reverend John Chol Dao, who is a, a South Sudanese former lost boy and now the head of Good Shepherd Academy in Juba, South Sudan, is in the film. And uh, also the wife of one of the men who was martyred on the beach in Libya, one of the Coptic men. And these are just powerful vignettes and people who are apathetic well, I'll tell you when they see that film, they will not be apathetic anymore. So if, uh, if I, I would really encourage people to see that and to, to, to get over their apathy, to pray for God, to touch their own hearts. Um, and also I, I mentioned earlier when we were speaking that there's this idea that, Oh, as Christians, we have we, we can't talk about ourselves. We need to talk about the Uyghur and uh, the um, Rohingya. And yes, we do. We do need to talk about them because they're suffering too, and they don't know Jesus. So what's going to happen to them when they they're executed? But we can't forget our own brothers and sisters either. So um, people need to realize that if they don't speak up. For the, the Christians, who's going to do it? You know who? Maybe the Jews, because the Jews were the ones who brought this up in the beginning. Uh, back in the when I first came to IRD, it was Michael Horowitz, a Jewish man, who brought the idea of Christian persecution to Congress. But we had better do it, or or we are going to um, we are going to be judged. One of the great gifts of uh, our new 2019 Book of Common Prayer in the Anglican Church in North America is specific prayer for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, both mm-hmm. Faith McDonald and I have, have uh, had the privilege of standing alongside many, many people who have been physically and emotionally and spiritually scarred uh, as a result of their confessed faith uh, in Jesus Christ. One of the things the persecuted church would often say to me in my uh, privileged work with them uh, over so many years was, do they know about us in the United States? Mm-hmm. Do they 
know about us in the West. I remember being in a very remote part of Laos uh, in, uh, in Southeast Asia and a young uh, Christian woman whose family had suffered the most indescribable sufferings uh, uh, over, over multiple generations said to me, do they know about us? When you go back, she said, don't forget us. Don't forget mm. us. I remember being with a convert from Islam to Christianity who was living in hiding in Alexandria, Egypt, with tears mm. in her eyes as I left her secret apartment. She said, don't forget us. Don't forget mm. to don't forget to work for our freedom. Uh, the author of the New Testament epistle uh, to the Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse 3 it says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And let's think about yeah. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And yet so often when we come to church on a Sunday morning, I wonder how much we do remember those who are in prison on that Sunday morning, unable to worship with the freedoms we enjoy in the United States or wherever it is we're listening. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are all, since you are also in the body. So mm. we're thinking of those imprisoned. We're thinking of those who are, who are mistreated. When one Christian is mistreated, we are all mistreated because mm. we are in the body together. And Faith, you've been such a courageous laborer and warrior, uh, the Iron Lady uh, for the person <laughs> in Washington, D.C. We're so grateful for you. Before we conclude, Faith, tell us a little bit about IRD and what is IRD? Okay. Well, it's the Institute on Religion and Democracy, and we are a uh, nonprofit um Christian organization, non-denominational, but uh, our work uh, started in 1981 as a way to um, reform the, the social witness of the churches in America um, and started a lot with the, the, the persecution of Christians in the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe. So um, that has been IRD's legacy. We have moved into a lot of different denominational issues. Um, you remember my my late boss, Diane Nippers, who had such an effect on the the bishops in the Episcopal Church who who left to to become uh, the Anglican Church in North America. Um, and I'm so proud of that part of IRD's. Uh, uh, ministry, as, as well as the part that does advocacy for the persecuted. Um, so I direct the religious liberty program that 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 does advocacy for persecuted Christians. But um, as I said, we care about all those who suffer for their faith. So every year you'll find me in July in the heat at the, the U.S. Capitol speaking for the, the, the rally uh, for freedom in China that is sponsored by the Falun Gong people. And I feel that that's very important because, as I said, you know, these are people who are dying for something that isn't eternal value. Um, we need to we need to give them the chance to live long enough to know Jesus. Um, so uh, that's uh, IRD is working on on still on those issues. That's what I do. Um, we are also we have an Anglican committee. We have a United Methodist committee. We've 
We've basically been trying for the last few years to keep the United Methodist Church from going the direction that some other denominations have gone and and have been pretty successful, actually. Um, But again, it's thanks to our international brothers and sisters. It's because the Methodist Church had the the African Methodist Church was allowed to vote in the the U.S. uh, General Conference, um, which, you know, when we had the Episcopal Church uh, General Convention, we could have lots of uh, bishops come over and and give their advice, but they couldn't vote. So I think that has been the the saving grace in the Methodist Church. Um, But once again, we have such a debt that we owe to our brothers and sisters in the Global South, who are, are standing firm for the gospel and looking at us like, um, you know, uh, we're standing with you and um, being, I'd say, uh, very much more gracious to us sometimes than we even deserve. Um, because, uh, you know, you, you quoted Hebrews 13, I think, too, of Hebrews 11, where it talks about those who were sawed in half and who were eaten, given to wild animals to eat and says the world was not worthy of them so uh my prayer is that we would all be the kind of christians that the world is not worthy of my guest on this episode has been mrs faith mcdonald from the institute on religion and democracy if you want to find out more about her work you can uh, discover about ird at the org. we'll put that information in the show notes uh, of this episode uh, faith thank you so much Great. for being uh, mm-hmm. with us there, there are numerous ways people can engage one of the most important ways is to pray Uh, If the Lord has blessed you with a blessed life, you might be able to give financially to support various organizations like Open Doors, Barnabas Aid, our own work uh, with Catechismos Global. Uh, We'll reference some of those organizations that you can support uh, the work of our uh, brothers and sisters who are in such desperate need for no other reason than their confessed faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Why don't we pray as we conclude this mm-hmm. episode of Living Through the Word. O oh Jesus, King of the poor, as we gather freely in our homes and churches, we ask that you would shield those who are imprisoned for their faith, yeah. those who have disappeared. Would you cast a halo of your presence around those who groan in sorrow or pain? Would you encourage those who are forbidden to worship? And then as the sun scatters the mist on the hills, would you bring us all to the place where all your children who confess Christ shall freely sit at your table Mm. in your kingdom, rejoicing in a God who saves them. Father, we ask Mm. these things because of Jesus Christ who himself suffered and gave his life for us that we may take up our cross daily, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus Christ. This is the word, and I'm Julian Dobbs. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace.